Hey everybody and welcome to episode number four of this wonderful little podcast that I'm attempting to do here. So I think we'll get straight into it into this episode. Um, I guess we'll start off with <clears throat> we'll start off with a bit of the let's see the last four thousand footer that I managed to do uh, this past week. What a what a fun fun little hike that was. And I should say too, when I do these hikes, what I tend to do, or at least my routine has been, and again, my weekly hikes are definitely helping these things because I think less and less about the gear that I need to pack and more bore about more and more, excuse me, about actually getting up to the hike, where the location is, where I'm gonna park, where I'm gonna park, you know, all those kind of fun things. And so my routine has been to essentially wake up at 4 a.m. and then my goal to be on the road by 4.30. I'm kind of like one of those people. I love being the first one on the trail, or at least I, w- I want to be out there when there's there's a minimal amount of people there because as I do more and more of these 4,000 footers, especially in the White Mountains, especially too as, as, as the weather totally starts warming up, the crowds are going to start picking up. And that was certainly the case too when I actually got back to uh, the trailhead for this hike after doing it. There were numerous, numerous times where I was coming down off this mountain and I had to basically jump off the monorail. Well, not really jump off because it was probably two feet of snow or three feet of snow in many sections. But I'd have to like basically quickly find a place to get out of the way so I didn't sink so people could get by. I mean, there was even a crowd of, I think, like 10 people on the way up. It was pretty, it's pretty wild. The good, the cool thing was everybody was super, super friendly on that trail. Like, I think, you know, everybody said hi. So while I'm back, um, great, great trip. I, you know, I did did good. I, I woke up at 4 a.m. I was on the road by 4.30. And then I essentially managed to get to the trailhead by about 6.45 which at this point um, right now, being this early in the season, you know, sunrise is just barely kind of crept up. So there was just enough light on the trail. I didn't need a headlamp or anything like that. The other good thing was that when I was looking at the trailhead for this, I was thinking like, okay, um, where am I going to be parking? And when I looked up one of the trail reviews, it looked like somebody had parked um Basically, at the end of the road, it was like some snowmobile, like sled kind of like parking area. And I was like, okay, that's where I was going to park. And when Waze basically sent me through what looks like what they call, and I, I use this with air quotes, a shortcut through what looked like a closed golf course, I, I got to the part where I'm like, okay, I guess this is where I'm going to park. But then I looked at the road and I didn't exactly have it on my map, but I saw the name of the road was the same as the trailhead that I was like looking for. I was like, yeah, let's go take a meander up there. Let's see how much more closer we can get. It it could save me some time, you know, if if it all worked out. And thankfully it did. It looked like they had finally opened it up. So I was able to park right at the trailhead and, and it was great. Um, when, when I hit the trail as well, it was, I, I should say that this whole trail was like a tale of two hikes, I guess you could say. The first part of the trail was pretty pretty wild because it was it was essentially a complete mud fest. Now up in the White Mountains at this time, at the time of this recording, there is still a lot of snow up there. Um, down here where I live in southern New Hampshire, there's basically no snow on any of the trails at this point. Matter of fact, my weekly hike that I do, I was able to do that without ever needing any micro spikes, which is great because it's just one little bit of weight that I can take out of my day pack. I can keep that off to the side. 
So I started the hike without any spikes on. So I was like, okay, good. We'll just see how it goes. You know, yeah, it was muddy, but you know what? Whatever. It's, you know, people jokingly say that there is no spring in New England. Um, you basically, you know, you do summer, fall, winter, and then there's mud season. Like there, there's no gray area. And, and it held true, especially on the first part of this trail. Of course, I forgot my watch. So I have no idea how long I was on that section. And so I, I you know, walking, kind of diving around, not really diving, of course, because whatever, <laughs> weird choice of words, but, you know, basically kind of meandering my way around through the mud. Uh, there was a fresh, fresh coating of snow as well on the trail, which was kind of nice because at some points uh, I did run into ice, but the snow, you know, that, that light coating was wet enough. It actually provided some traction. So I was thinking, okay. Maybe I can I can really hold off on these micro spikes. I don't need to put them on. I don't know why I fight it so much, but you know I I, I wouldn't have to worry about it. And I got about maybe a mile, maybe a mile and a half. I'm not really sure how far I totally got. Where the trail just I realized that as I was walking, you know I found myself trying to like step across a bunch of stuff and it, it, basically my gait or my stride or I don't I don't really know how you want to call it, but my you know, my pace was just totally off. So I finally did stop, put on the micro spikes, and that made made things easy to out or easy things out a little bit so that I at least and I mentioned this in my video, at least I wasn't like completely completely out of breath the entire time of the trail. So that was good. It actually worked out I needed it anyways because I got to about uh about a certain point the whole hike completely changed. It turned into what I was expecting more of the White Mountains to still be at. And it basically, you know, a lot of snow, like a lot, a lot of snow. And, and especially where the main trail is, you know, you call it like the monorail or whatever. And, you know, you, you get your hard pack of snow where everybody's just been walking on. And this is where I would say that it was the tale of two hikes, because the first part, you know, not only was it mudded out a, a little bit, but, you know, it was basically just a lot of hardwoods. I don't want to say it was kind of like an open openness, but it was certainly a lot more open. It's kind of cool too because you can you could see the fog. It was very much a gray overcast day, so there was a lot of fog through the trees. I tried to capture a picture or two of those. I'll I'll talk about those in a second. I'll I'll bring them up. I tried to capture some of the fog through the trees. I don't know how well I did there. You know, that's just sort of an art from photography that I'm you know I'm still trying to experiment my way through. I I see fog and or whatever or mist. I try to capture it doesn't always go so well so you know I need more practice in that area so you got that first part maybe the first mile or two kind of like hardwood you know steady incline all the way up and then you, you can almost say you went around a bend and then it turned into basically like Christmas tree town you got all very much closed in you know if anybody's familiar with the white mountains you know there's also another term you know like the green tunnel and that's exactly what what happened hike got a little bit more steeper um a little bit more rugged i guess you could say or tougher you know i say tougher because i'm still completely out of shape i'm you know i'm trying to get into a shape other than round uh as i as i do more of these hikes that's sort of like one motivation for doing all these stuff all these hikes not just for the photography aspect but just to get out there and be moving again. Once I finally got into that section, it was so beautiful. You know, I, I, I'm one of those people, when I do a hike, or at least when I'm trying to get to the destination, I totally enjoy the, the, the hike in of itself. As long as it's not totally terrible, like, you know, covered in black flies and stuff like that, like, or, you know, horse flies. But just for the majority of the time, I'm, I'm enjoying 
just the walk through the woods, the peacefulness. And that's sort of one of the reasons why I love to get out there so early, especially as I do more of these much, much more popular hikes. You know, the White Mountains are saturated with a lot of people. It's certainly not a destination for probably a lot of the hikes. I won't say all of them because I, I have done some in the past where you, I've seen nobody up there. Just to say that even doing these 4,000 footers, it's such a common thing for hikers to do. It's such a big list. You know, a friend of mine, he, he does a lot of these or he did all the 4,000 footers. You know, there's a couple different variations of doing them. People, you know, either you do them in the summer, there's like one type of list and then you get an award. It's like a kind of like a goofy, like kind of like a patch. Then there's like another one where, you know, you could do it in the winter, you know, so you get another patch and say, all right, I did all these 4,000 footers in the winter. There's another one, and I forget what the technical name is off the top of my head. I probably should have wrote that down. It's where you do all of the 4,000 footers each month of the year. So there's 48 of them. So you would do all 48 in January, and then I think you would do, again, another all 48 in February, by, you know, and just keep going on. That one is, I guess, more of the rare one because it just takes so much time to do. But they're just saying like, or at least that's the point I'm, I guess I'm trying to make here is that, that there's so many people out there. And that's sort of why I always try to get out there so early in the morning is just to, to get ahead of the crowd, kind of beat it up, or not beat it up, but just to beat the crowd for the majority. The list that I've got, yes, I'm going to be doing all the 48,000 footers. I don't know why I've gone off on this tangent. Me doing these is all about, you know, exploring. I, I, I you know, I've lived in New Hampshire my whole life and I've never really spent a whole lot of time in the White Mountains. I've spent certainly a lot of my teenage years, um, a lot of my 20s, certainly definitely a lot of time in my 20s uh, doing a lot of hiking. My wife and I, especially, we did a lot of hiking in, in my in my in our 20s, essentially. Uh, but around the 30s, you know, our, our careers sort of took off. We got a lot more busier. I especially got a lot busier and spent probably the majority of my 30s not hiking. Sure, there was some bits and pieces, but I got to the point where I didn't really want to deal with the crowds. There was a point, you know, early, early on for those maybe more familiar with New Hampshire, you know, to get from Southern New Hampshire to Northern New Hampshire, there's the tow booths. There's still tow booths now, but there was a point where before it was like their easy pass system, it was the old coin operated, you know, if you need to go through it, you threw your tokens in. I used to work up in Concord actually too. So like during the week, I'd actually do a part of that drive. And it was always so funny to be like, how fast can I get through the toll booth? Not like going like 60 miles an hour, but kind of like imagine like a basketball player and you're in your car, you roll down your window and as you drove by, you would throw the, throw the coins into the basket and you'd see if you could get through the, <laughs> through the lights before it went, went green, you know, and then you'd hear the buzzer going off. I don't know. It was kind of a weird thing. And you do, we do a lot of commuting you do a lot of funny things. So there'd be many times like, and I can remember one time in particular, we got stuck in traffic on there. It was obviously well before the easy pass system, but we were stuck in traffic for, I felt like my memory's kind of hazy, but it felt like we were stuck there for hours. You know, we were thinking like, oh, let's, you know, let's do a like hike up in the white mountains somewhere. And we're like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was Chikora. I think we were going to go do. And so we were, we left, I don't want to say, late-ish maybe not super early-ish but it was it was bad and, and so and so that kind of stuff really kind of tailored or kind of like soured my like urge to really go up there so we would spend a lot of our times hiking in, in, in you know southern new hampshire and you know the mount Monadnock and a lot of like little lo 
local hikes in the area. Maybe we would hike like on the seacoast, stuff like that. You know, at some point we started like going to Maine a lot more. And point being, I never really did a whole lot of stuff up in the White Mountains. So I always used to chuckle at my friend. He'd be like, you know, I, I'm just, I just want to like, I'm doing this because I want to get through these lists. And that was cool because it got him out there. And I can see the appeal now of these lists because in a way it kind of will spread me across, you know, the White Mountains and kind of give me a good feel of the entire area. My hope is as I do all these 4,000 footers and they become more familiar, I'll actually find some decent places to actually do some backpacking or at least find the quieter areas of that region. I would like to take at least one, or if not both of my dogs. Um, I've got one that's a little bit louder, we shall say, that I would love to take her out there on like some nice stealth camping backpacking trips. Um, the White Mountains is probably more forgiving when it comes to backpacking. The rules are a little bit more lax. Like down here in southern New Hampshire, the rules are certainly a lot more tougher. You know, if you go to like some of these trail systems around here, a lot of the times you see signs that like, yeah, you know, yeah, sure, you can be hiking out here, but no hunting or anything like that. If you want to be camping or whatever, or fires out here, you know, you got to get a permit. Stuff like that. The White Mountains, definitely a little bit more forgiving in that aspect. So that was one of the reasons why I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing these 4,000 footers. I don't know why I've just totally went on this rant here. or not rant, but just that's just wanted to describe a little bit more if this is maybe your first episode and kind of like why I'm doing these hikes. But to come back to Wombach, again, it's another area. It's another section of the White Mountains that I've never explored before. And so that's why, you know, that's why I get up there early. I want to get away from the crowds, you know, or at least beat the crowds so I can get that solo feeling. It helps me, you know, mentally when it comes to photography because, but I'm not being rushed to take those photographs. I can take a moment or two and kind of be in my moment or in my zone. And I'm just kind of like very peaceful and kind of, kind of pretty chill. Anyways, coming back to Wombach or Wombach, I'm not really sure. I don't remember how you pronounce this. There was actually two summits on this hike. So the first one was Mount Star King. That's the first one on the way to, to Wombach. Not Mount Star King. It's not on the 48,000 footer list. It's actually, I think, on the 52 of the view. Yep, there's another list out there. But it was funny. I finally got up to the summit of that one. So one person actually got ahead of me on that hike, and he was pretty cool. I actually ended up chatting with him for about five or ten minutes or so when I got to Wombach, which is another example of, like, much more friendly hikers out there. And I, and I find that, too, I guess I'm going to go off on another tangent here. I should call this the Tangent Podcast. But I'm finding that these hikes, you're, you're finding more people out there that appear to be more prepared. Again, this is still pretty early in the season. I expect to see a lot more people out there come summertime and things like that, where they're just going to be out there in their jeans and flip-flops trying to do these 4,000-footers. But I see more people out there that, or at least that, that, that feel like they're more in tune with the nature, like they, they're they're just prepared, they're happy, you know, they're just like, this is this is great fun. You know, I don't, well, I think they're all going to be happy. No, of course not. There'll be some people that are just like, I just want to get to the top and back down to the bottom. Like, that's their whole mission. But anyway, so I got to Mount Star King. I got there and I, and I was like up on the ridge, not on the ridge, but I got to what I believe was the summit. Of course, there was no view up there. So for the second 4,000 footer, I one got to the summit of a mountain that had no view and it had snowed. And actually it was snowing just a little bit at the summit. I got up there and kind of looked around. I was like, oh, cool. Basically no view again. But again, enjoying the hike itself 
makes the views less important for me. Again, yeah, sure, I would love to see the distance and see kind of like the other mountains and from where I am, but being happy with the hike, it's sort of like, okay, I'm good. I'm totally good. So I got to the top and I started coming back down and I came around a corner and there was like this big fireplace. I don't know why there was a fireplace up there. Could have been, it could literally have been anything. So Maybe there was an old hotel up there. I don't know. I did a quick look before I started recording this podcast. I didn't find anything, but it was just funny to see that. So yeah, I definitely grabbed a snap of that while I was up there. Then I kept going. And then the rest of the hike, basically to Wombach, was actually quite nice. For the most part, it just stayed like on a ridge. Um, It started going down a little bit too as well, which kind of concerned me because I'm like, I learned that when I was out on my last 4,000 footer, they weren't on the same trail system I was. They were, you know, but they were in a relatively general area of the White Mountains. Apparently some hiker went up there and got lost. Definitely more of like a blizzard whiteout, kind of very windy conditions. And so you really had to be careful of where you were going. And unfortunately, I guess somebody, somebody passed away. They either they got lost in the trail or something like that, and which was really, really sad. So when I was up there at the top, you know, I had my phone on. Of course, I was recording my tracks. I, I bring my battery back up. So just in case, you know, if, if stuff really hit the fan there as well, for the most part, I think I had cell phone signals. So if I could, I know I could have probably had, if I got lost, I could probably save the tracks if I needed to and hopefully talk my way through. Maybe somebody say, hey, if you go here, you can find my profile and where that trail ends is basically where I am. I also bring, you know, extra gear like lighters, you know, matches, just ways to start fires. Because at the end of the day, I figure, could I survive up there? I would like to believe I could. I always try to bring just enough gear to be like, okay, stuff hits the fan. I can probably do something to help me survive. If I can build a fire or whatever, sure. If you got all that snow, maybe I would dig out like enough snow to get, you know, to build up some walls or whatever, and then just start building a fire. Sure, there's a lot of the trails, it's very, you know, very sharp, kind of going straight down. But I I would like to believe I could survive. So I opened up my phone and I'm like, okay, and I, you know, just to double check that I was on the right trail. Sure enough, yep, the trail, I was on the right trail, it was headed down, but then it was going to basically go back up. Nothing too crazy, you know, maybe, maybe another 100 feet of elevation gain between the two points, between, you know, Mount Star King and Mount Wombach. So finished that up. It was great. And that's when I ran into the hiker. We chatted for about five or 10 minutes. I chuckled him and say, thank you for being ahead of me. Because basically he got to find all the, find all the postals for me. Postaling being, you know, you know, if you're walking along through the snow and you step off of the side or it just sinks, you basically end up sinking up to snow up to your waist up there. So clearly the White Mounds right now are going to have a lot of snow, probably, probably well into May. I think my next 4,000 footer is not for another couple more weeks. So I'm hoping the snow actually will kind of definitely work its way down more. I'd like to hopefully where it's maybe, you know, snow maybe is up to my knees or something like that. And then it's not so bad. Sure, I'm looking forward to the summer where I don't need to wear my micro spikes. But, you know, I'll take whatever I can get for now. So I got to the summit. You know, I hammed it up a little bit. I took some, you know, selfies with my camera because I want to document as well as, you know, myself being up there. Yeah, sure, I could use my cam- you know, my cell phone, but, you know, there's something about actually having my own personal camera there to take those pictures instead of my, you know, my iPhone. So that hiker, he left. That's when, you know, the when he left, I went and I took my pictures. Uh, I should say that the top of Wombach, there's no view. Like, the summit itself has no view. But if you walk, like, 50 feet down the trail, because there's another trail, keep connecting you, you could probably go pretty far out there. 
which goes back to the whole backpacking thing. I bet you you could walk that whole line and, you know, whatever. You could go pretty far and just have a really, really good time when the weather's really nice. But he left. Pictures were taken, and I wrapped up all my gear. And about, right about the time I got done, I started hearing some more people coming. And I was like, okay, that's cool. You know, I got my time in. They'll have their time. I started walking down the trail. And <laughs> one of the craziest experiences that's ever happened to me on the trail, at least one that I can remember. So I, they, they came around the corner and I quickly looked and I'm like, oh shoot, I don't see any place where I can stand. And I, what I didn't really thinking about it so much, I just stepped. Now, usually if there's nothing like no log or nothing for me to step on or whatever, I'll, I'll try to pack down the snow and maybe, you know, put my arm around the tree to kind of brace my weight. So I don't completely sink down. I took a step and I just sank. I like sank right up, like my right leg sank right up to my waist. So now I'm in the snow, up to my waist. A couple comes along with their dog, not leashed. And, and they came and the dog just starts running at me. Not like me. I think it was, maybe it was at a border collie or something like that. I don't remember. But comes running up to me. Up to me. It was like, hey, look, a human at my eye level. And came running up. It was a friendly enough dog. It was cool, you know, whatever. But the dog's like now in my face. I'm down in the snow. The guy and the lady, they, they look down. Now remember, they're looking, totally looking down at me. And they're like, hey, you know, are we almost there to the view, you know, to the to the summit? And I'm like, yes, you know, it's another hundred feet up the trail. Or you could say it's also about, you know, about another three feet below my feet, you know, whatever. So the dog was there. I think his wife or his girlfriend or whatever was like, okay, you know, come along, Polly, or whatever the dog's name was. And now nah, the dog wasn't moving. And then finally kind of, you know, finally shambled off or kind of took off running after, after the lady. And the guy's like, hey. Hey, are those like black diamond pants? And I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, you're asking me about my pants? Like during this entire experience, I don't think he's ever asked me if I was okay. You know, like, can I get out of the snow? It was more about one, was he almost at the summit? And two, where did my pants come from? And I think he was incredibly disappointed when I said that just cheap knockoff pants from like Amazon. He's like, oh, okay. And then he just walked off like... Not once did he say, hey, let me help you up or anything like that. Maybe maybe in pre-COVID time, maybe they, they would have been more helpful. But it was just kind of funny to be sitting down there in the snow, looking up at these people like this is a normal, normal thing. Yes, we always talk to people down in like, you know, three feet of snow. Like, sure, no problem. Happens every day of our life. I don't know why you seem to think this is so funny. They meandered on. I got myself out of it. It was totally fine. That was the only time, like, I had to jump off totally like that and sink. The rest of the time when I saw people, it was easy enough. I could, you know, quickly get off. I learned that by using my micro spikes, I could kind of use them to kind of brace myself against the trees or whatever. If I saw people coming, I had enough time to get, like, on a log or something and basically brace myself so people could get by. It was kind of hard to do a lot of the six-foot distancing kind of rules I know people want want you to do but the monorail is so narrow it's it was kind of like walking on a tight tightrope the entire time so yeah so that was that was an entire thing got down to the bottom and you know called it a day it was a lot a lot of fun uh when i almost got down to the bottom i met a couple dudes you know a couple guys they were like heading up the trail you know you know said hi and at this point you know there's basically no snow it's just mostly just mud and you know water runoff and stuff like that so you're able to much much easily much more easily get out of their way and the guy he's coming up and his friend was like yeah man it's great to see that spring's here and it kind of chuckled be like yeah it's spring down here but it's still winter and christmas time at the top and he just kind of started laughing and you know they you know they they headed on up the trail 
it's those kind of experiences, you know, I definitely, I definitely can enjoy. And I can see the appreciation when you see other people like that, when they're all very much happy, everybody's all just happy to be out there. Just feels wonderful to be out in nature. So I'd say overall, the pictures that I got on this trip were actually not that bad. Uh, looking at one of the pictures I have here, and I'll have uh, the links to these pictures in the description of this podcast, at least to the galleries themselves. So this first one, you know, I try to get a nice shot of the trail itself. And again, I've been totally sticking with my 50 millimeter lens. I, and, and the way I have it attached to is I have like a peak design uh, clip, a uh, strap clip to my backpack. I think I got two now. I might buy a third one because I'm one of those people like I will never remember to switch things around. I'll never be like, yo, look, I got to make sure I take that off and put another, another backpack. I do pretty well these days about, you know, taking my gear and taking it out of my backpack. Well, out of my backpack one, you know, but or my day pack, I should say. I usually leave that stuff in there, but when I'm doing like my overnight, I do a pretty good job of trying to take the stuff out of there and put all that away so I can find it later. But when it comes to like my day packs, nah, I'm pretty much, my gear is in there and it sort of just stays there so I can quickly just grab it and I'm ready to go because again, I, I sometimes don't always remember to bring everything. I brought my, I'm still bringing my 50 millimeter. I'm finding that I'm very happy with the photos I'm getting, you know, sure I could bring my 16 to 35, but I don't know. They're just something special about what I'm getting out of my 50 millimeter. Just the pictures to me are like kind of what I pretty much have in mind. So I got one pick of just a fresh coating of snow heading on up the trail. It's beautiful. Um, you know, there's a little bit of snow cover on, on the trees itself. It's kind of like, it's almost got like that miniature look. I didn't set the um, f-stop uh, or the aperture up to, I think I'm, I don't remember what I had it at, but it's like it's, there's just enough where you see basically you know the first five feet in front of me and you see the hint of the trail kind of heading off out into the woods and I just love that effect that actually that had on that one. I did try to grab a picture as I said earlier of the the fog and the mist and the trees and I think it actually came out okay overall. You know I tried I you know I aimed the camera and I'm, again I'm doing this all handheld. I I did bring a tripod. Most of my photography these days that I'm noticing, you know, I'm, I'm all about wanting to tell the story more than, you know, technical perfection on each, each shot. There's just too much time to be taken. And I'm, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of weighing that balance between taking the pictures and doing the hike. I kind of want to be doing both. But this fog picture, again, I just did it all handheld. I, I aimed higher up into the trees to kind of give that misty kind of look while still having some of the trail. And you can tell like in this picture too as well, like there's been nobody out there, which is all about, I like that being out there early, that unspoiled feeling that's there. Yeah, sure, you know, a couple hours later, you could, it was almost like a whole, you could see just tracks, like just right up the middle all the way. And kind of like the picture I'm looking at now, I remember coming back down or at least in this general area, it was basically all turned into mud. So it was kind of, kind of gross. So I'm glad I got this picture very early on, you know, and I tried to take in some more pictures of the trail. They kind of came out. Okay. I posted them. One of them, I was trying to get sort of like the bend, you know, like a hint, you know, that there was something else, but I don't think I totally achieved it, but I kind of liked the look of what was going on here. Then, of course, I get the shot of the fireplace as well, which was totally funny. Like I said, I came around the corner and there's like this big fireplace out in the middle of the woods. 
Maybe there was a hotel or something up there. I really, I don't have any clue why it's there. I think I did read a little bit that maybe they were trying to put like a, a ski lift. So maybe they thought while they were putting all the stuff in, maybe the fireplaces where skis would have gotten warmed up or something. It was on Mount Star King, but whatever. So I think the picture came out okay. It's more about telling the story, not so much technical perfection, but I did like the fact that I got the picture. I tried to crop, I tried to bring it in just enough so like the obvious subject was this fireplace. And of course, you know, I hammed it up in front of, you know, the sign that was at the summit of Wombach, trying to look all concerned and important. Like, you know, there's something very deep and meaningful that I was actually looking at, which it's just I don't know, which was nothing. I just didn't want to be looking at the camera. It's kind of goofy. Just kind of goofy. And then the last picture is, you know, probably the better, the funnier picture is when I finally, when I got back down to the trailhead, at the trailhead, there was all kinds of little bits of trash and everything, you know, dog bags, if you know what I mean, kind of like hanging out there. Like it was kind of really, really gross. And But I did find underneath like the big rock, what looks like probably a geocache. I didn't have a pen and I didn't have anything to swap with it. I guess that's sort of the rules of these geocaches you try to you know you try to trade something with it I, I don't know what the purpose is of that but but that's what it's all about with the geocaches um maybe there was a pen in there whatever i mean mostly at that point when i was done with the trail when i got back down to the trailhead they were probably they looked like there was 25 to you know 20 to 30 cars in the parking lot if not more so i was like yeah i just want to get there get all my gear done and then didn't then just head home that was you know when i'm done when i'm done with a hike that's it like to my mind the magic is done i'm ready I'm, I'm headed back down to the bottom as a matter of fact when i i basically about almost ran most of the way down the trail for the most part i mean that's the one advantage of the snowpack is that you didn't i didn't you don't have to fight like a lot of the the roots and rocks and it had the spikes on so you kind of like had like almost like a smooth smooth track heading down to the bottom yeah, I think that was, that's pretty much it. I, you know, I had a great time. I'm glad I documented this journey. Sure, it's, you know, everybody's done these type of hikes, but for me, it was a lot of fun and it was a good experience. Just a yet another area that I was able to to hit up. I also did my weekly uh, birding shoot. Basically, waterfowl is sort of what I've been focusing on as of late. I'm in a local conservation land. There was the typical uh, geese that were still out there. Unlike my last one, my last time I was out there, I was shooting into the sun and I realized that was a big mistake. So in this one, it was actually, again, just another overcast, cloudy day, basically a holdover from Saturday into Sunday. So I didn't really matter where I sat. So I decided to stay on the original side of this pond that I've been walking up to, but I went about another 500 feet or so, found another spot so I could at least sit down and see if they, where they were. Uh, against my better judgment, when I was walking up uh, the wildlife, uh, the, I guess you could call it the wildlife pond, I did see a lot of what looks like a lot of ducks kind of hanging out in one spot. I really should have stayed there once I saw them, but I didn't. I wanted to take the chance to explore more. I'm going to be out there for quite a bit this year, I figure. So small prices to pay, but, you know, it's all about learning, you know, whatever. So basically ended up where I was, it was sort of like, you know, the geese were basically, or at least a few of the geese were in this general area. So I sat down, got all my gear, you know, all ready to go. I got, a, I'm a little bit more efficient on setting up my chair. Yes, I bring a chair because if you're sitting there and I want to be eye level to the pond, I feel like I'm trying to be, when I'm taking my photographs, I want to be less about like 
kind of like the stereotypical like looking above shot i'm trying to look for more of like ground level pond level because i feel like it for me it's telling the the better story of the life i kind of feel like i want to bring the, the the viewer in on what's happening on this pond so i got out there it was definitely much more of a raw day as well um i picked up a pair of binoculars as well before i went out there so just another just another piece of gear to add to my birding kit which actually helped out quite a bit. Sure, I've got the telephoto lens, but not all the time do I want to be looking through that. You know, with the binoculars, you get a much wider field of view. So I was able to see some see some more stuff going on. There was like a little bird fluttering around here and there. It was kind of bouncing around on like an old beaver pond. I was like, eh. I did try to photograph it, but it, with only a 100 to 400 millimeter lens, you can only get so far with that. So I got like one decent enough picture with the goose. It's kind of it was just hanging out by himself. I think he was just feeding. I don't, I don't know. It, I just like the picture because the foreground has like you know like the blurred out kind of the grass before it. You know, it looks like you know brown grass. And then you got the goose, and then the rest of it behind is kind of blurry. And I just kind of like it. Like it, you just kind of got the feeling that the goose is just sort of sitting there, kind of going in between some cool structures and things like that. I don't know. I just like the aesthetic of that picture. Managed to get a picture of what I think is an eastern Phoebe. Um, while I was sitting there, it actually landed like right on this tiny little branch, and I was like, oh my god. Which was another nice advantage of getting there early, setting up nice and early and staying in one spot versus going everywhere. I feel like as you're sitting there chilling out, the birds, I think, get, get a little bit more comfortable, hopefully, that you're there. It's obviously right off like a hiking trail, too. So it's not like people are complete strangers to it, but it felt more comfortable. And so it landed on this branch and I was able to grab a couple of quick pictures of it. And I could only get it from behind, and then it's kind of looking off to, to, to the right. So I, I think that's what it was, was an Eastern Phoebe, the best I could tell anyways. Maybe it's a different type of species. The last picture I got, again, was an, of another goose. And one of the cool things that I've been learning, you know, as I, you know, this was only my second outing there, is to understand some of the behavior of these birds, especially with geese. Now, everybody's seen geese. They're nothing, totally not anything like special from that aspect. Like, wow, you know, I've never seen a goose in my life or I've had a hike, you know, hundreds of miles out into the woods. They're pretty common. You walk into like any city with even just a remote like body of water, you're going to probably find some Canadian geese hanging out. But to witness them in their more of a natural environment, I guess we'll call it, it's interesting to see some of the behaviors and how truly territorial these Canadian geese are. And it kind of appears like they have multiple groups. Now, I don't know how many groups a pond could support, but I would say there was at least two, two sets, maybe. Now, the one goose that was in my general area where I was was kind of like off on them, off on his own. I'm going to say his because I, I don't know how to identify the male or female, but we'll just say the goose was kind of by himself, hanging out in this general area for the entire time, you know, squawking or whatever. He, whatever, he was pretty cool with where I was. For a while, he was actually on the other side of the pond, and then he slowly made his way over. Then you hear some other geese that are far away. Now, I've seen the geese kind of like separated at times and come back together, so it never really crossed my mind that whether he was part of the main flock, so to speak, or off on his own. Like, that just never crossed my mind. They, I had, you know, I got the picture from last week where certainly I could see that the geese, they were fighting with each other. And that could have been about the young, less more about the territory. 
So this guy, he's hanging out here. Got to a point, so some of the geese from like one side of the pond, they would fly over, kind of squawking, you know, whatever, kind of doing their thing. They kind of make a loop and then they go back to the original side of the pond they were at. And that happened a few times. Finally, there was one time where this goose was finally, he was coming across the pond at this point and they decided they were going to make another flight. And I think there was three of them all together. So they came flying over. And what I never witnessed before, what I saw was the goose, essentially, it heard them and then flattened out in the water. And that was the picture I got. And and I believe what it was trying to do was hide from them or camouflage them. And my wife, when she saw the picture, she, she didn't even think it was a goose. She thought it was something else. And that must have been like a natural natural behavior for them to try to look like a different animal. And in, in it being overcast, the, the water's very brackish. Canadian goose is like it's very much browns and blacks and a little bit of whites so it's I think it has a much easier time blending into the water so I don't think they they didn't originally see him I believe I mean it's hard to say I, I wasn't sure but they so this one you know flattened out and kept coming across the water so I managed to grab a picture of it doing that because I thought that was really really a fascinating thing or at least a, a cool story to kind of show of what this thing was doing not something you necessarily I think you would see like maybe out like in a city park. Maybe you would if you were out there early in the morning and you're spending a lot of time watching them other than just cursing them because they basically poo all over the place. The funny part was, so he does the stealth thing, gets over to like my side or my 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 side of the shore, gets on a, like a, like a much more harder pack of ground and they just start squawking the entire time. So the other three, they're off onto the right. They're all doing their thing. And one of them breaks off and starts coming back over. Because now I think it's kind of curious, like, what's all this squawking all about? And when they meet up, the one that had been on my side, or at least been kind of by itself, you know, threw down the gauntlet of territorial and basically chased the other one off. It was kind of wild. It was just interesting to just to see. I didn't actually, yeah, I didn't get an actual picture of that fight. By the time they were doing that, I think I was pretty much ready to pack up. I had I had some errands to run, so I couldn't spend the entire time out there. It was also kind of windy and raw out there as well, so it wasn't exactly in the warmest conditions, to so to speak. So whatever. So I so basically I didn't didn't get any good pictures of that, and I think they were kind of like too far away at that point. So it really it wasn't going to make any difference. One thing I forgot to mention when I got out onto this trail too. I'm not sure if I'm going to change how I'm going to do it. So I've got a, another backpack. So I got like, you know, I've got my day pack that I do for, for hiking, right? For my day hiking. But I've got another one that's a, much more hardcore, like for all my camera gear. And the thing weighs a ton. But for the photography that I'm doing, for at least for, you know, bird photography, waterfowl photography, I want to make sure I have all the right gear. So it makes it worthwhile to like hike up there. And it's like, to get to this pond, it's probably about a mile and a half from where I parked to get there. So it's not, not nothing too crazy and helps build up the muscles, especially for when I do more of the bigger backpacking trips. But anyways, so I have all of my camera gear in the backpack because it's just easier to carry that way. But as I was walking, like over on the left, I saw like a bit of like a ripple on a stream. And I was like, what was that? And I look over and there was a beaver probably 20, 25 feet away from me. And I was really bummed because my good camera is in my backpack. You know, it was already attached to the lens, but it would have taken so much effort for me to, not so much effort, but in the time that it probably would have taken me to take that backpack off to get that photograph, that he would have been gone. So I don't know if I'm going to carry um, that camera 
while I'm headed out there for probably those scenarios. I probably should because you never, never know. I know, especially when I'm hiking, you just in general, like you always see, I'm starting to see more and more birds sort of fluttering around, especially my weekly, you know, my weekly day hike that I do or my weekly training hike. I'm starting to see a little bit more birds just sort of floating around. I see some squirrels. I see some chipmunks kind of hanging out. So probably having that camera in my hand the entire time probably makes the most sense because if I ever run into one of those situations again, I'll have a better chance of capturing it before it goes away. Because I think the distance where I was was much, much closer than I've ever been to a beaver. Maybe I've been closer. I don't know. But I've never been closer. And I think I would have gotten a great shot of him just, just hovering above the water. Clearly could see me. Kind of stared at each other like, hey, how you doing? How you been? Yes, great day for a hike. Yes, I do say so myself. A little bit windy today. Anyways, so kind of looked at me and then finally we basically went in our opposite directions me walking away a little bit bummed but kind of happy that I had that experience it's it's as I as I touched on in the last episode it's you know getting out there and doing these hikes doing these things it's giving me the opportunities or giving me more and more of those chances to get these pictures it's to get out there and do these things you know going out there maybe once a month sure maybe you might get lucky but I do believe, especially if I'm going to be starting to do, you know, as I'm doing more of this waterfowl, this bird photography, nature photography, I think you have to kind of go to the same area continuously. I think you need to really learn and study the area. You need to really learn and understand what the wildlife is doing. Start recognizing the bird sounds, recognizing different locations. I, I know we keep going back to that weekly hike. About around 5.30 every morning when I'm actually really, when I'm out on the trail, like I'm wondering like, why in the world am I night hiking out here? Like why? I could just be at home in bed sleeping. I always hear the same owl in the same spot every morning. And so if I really wanted to find this owl, it, it, I have to keep going out there, I believe. You know, I have to keep learning that area. So I know I get to a certain point, I should take a left, like out into the woods to give me more of those chances to be like, okay, I know there's one out here and to slowly start tracking these animals. Same thing with the waterfowl here. I think over the course of time, I'll probably understand maybe more of their migration habits. You know, maybe, maybe they always stay in the same pond. Maybe they disappear after a while. I'm not really sure, but it's certainly going to be a fun learning experience. That's why I want to get out here. And as maybe as, as I'm walking, I'll know like, oh, right. There's always a blue jay right around the same area all the time. So if I have my camera always in my hand, especially when I'm doing these specific type of wildlife nature hikes, I'm ready to go. Maybe I'll buy a clip type thing. I'm not really sure um, when I when I attach my camera to like a gimbal, like swole type head thing. It's got its own mount. So I'm not sure it will actually attach to a peak design type clip. And I'm not really sure I want this big camera, this big 100 to 400 millimeter lens, like attached to my backpack strap, but it's, it's fine. I can probably carry it for the mile or two, but at least then I'm ready. I'm ready to go to take more of these pictures. So anyways, I think that's it. I think I've rambled on, um, well and good here. I got plenty to chat about for the, for next week's episode. I will have done a lot more hikes. I just got to write down some notes to, so that way I don't forget all about them. I will have the links to the two galleries. Um, the bird photography gallery is more of a continuous one. So it's not like going to be a brand new one, but I'll keep trying to make sure I post that in here. 
I'll have the link to the Wombach hike as well if you want to check out those hikes or whatever. If you want to head on over to thelonephotographer.com, that is basically where I keep all my pictures. Not so much the spoken or read word over there, so to speak. All right, so I think that's it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And I will all, I will all, wow, man, I am wonderful with the English language. I will catch up with you all in the next episode.